Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Anyone who has ever played a video game obsessively or had a child who has played a game obsessively has probably asked the question, is video game addiction a problem? Now, when I was a kid, it was a lot of Pac-Man and Donkey Kong, and I'm I know that our parents asked that question. Our parents did not like that one bit. But more recently, it's something like Fortnite, which has become a cultural phenomenon and the most played video game of all time. But it has also, you know, spawned reports of extreme gaming behaviors, things like you know, playing during a tornado or refusing to even take a break for the basics, which has once again brought up this question of the addictive nature of some video games. So what does that mean for the people who develop these games? How much responsibility do they have for the impact on mental health and how this works and all the the logistics around this? Well, Luke Rinaldi is with us now, a national award-winning journalist who has been researching this and writing about this. Luke, thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thanks for having me. So is this a problem now more so than we have seen in the past, do you think? Yeah, I think so. You mentioned, you know, growing up with a different type of game. Um, Games used to be pretty straightforward you know you played them you beat them and then you were kind of bored but now games don't really have an end point you can kind of keep playing them forever um they're more accessible they're on our phones um they keep updating with new characters and levels and weapons and so you can kind of just lose yourself in them and kids i think you know they see the rise of esports and they say well i can make a living doing this so you know mom keep letting me play Right. So now these games are designed to kind of keep you in the game, to buy things in the game and to essentially never leave the game. Yeah. So how do parents deal with this? Like, what have you heard from parents? Uh, (laughs) Well, I've heard from parents who uh, certainly are having a lot hard, really hard time dealing with it. Um, I think, you know, the the first step is to try to reason with your kid and, and, you know, not outright ban video games because, there's plenty of things that are good about video games. Um, but at a certain point when your you know, son is not going to the washroom because he can't pry himself from his controller, um, things you know, need to get a little bit more strict. And so I've spoken to parents who have um, you know, taken away their kids' consoles, um, who have sort of forced them to go outside, who have turned off the Wi-Fi. Um, and you know, some of those things are successful, but... Uh, when these kinds of games are so um, ubiquitous and and playable on a smartphone, it is really hard to limit uh, a child's access to them. Um, And so that's why I think parents are struggling because their kids really have a means to play the game no matter what they do. And how are video game developers responding to this, if they are at all? Yeah, I think um, video game developers have historically said, you know, we're making a product. We're making something that's fun, um, that's pretty innocent. Um, and like most things, uh, or like many things, it can be misused. And so developers have said the 
responsibility to make sure that a kid doesn't get addicted or, or plays with healthy habits, um, that responsibility should fall to parents. And so they've sort of, you know, shirked off this, this responsibility and said, this should be up to players. This should be up to parents. We're just making a product and, and we can't be held responsible. And, you know, I think to some extent that's a fair line of reasoning, but I also think that it doesn't really need to be that black and white. I think parents do have a responsibility, but developers should as well. It's hard, I guess, when you can't really define what healthy habit means. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. I think for some players, playing for, uh, you know, a full day um, can be healthy. I, I, that might sound sort of <laughs> sort of nuts, but if a, a player has a well-balanced life and they say, okay, I've set, a, set aside my Saturday to, to play video games and they go for it and it doesn't really impact the rest of their life, that's fine. And so it's hard to uh, draw a line and say, okay, this is where... Um, video games has really ventured into dangerous territory, a, a possible addiction, as opposed to, you know, a, a relatively healthy or, or at least benign pastime. So is there concern, though, that we're heading into stuff that may be even more challenging to control, like with AI and virtual reality? Are these games going to become even more addictive? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think AI has been sort of a part of video games for a long time in sort of rudimentary forms. Um, you know, the way that computer players have been controlled, they need to sort of be um, AI to a certain extent. And as that technology gets more advanced, um, we're going to see games that, that really target um, individual players' preferences and understand what it is that keeps them coming back to the game. And it'll simply keep pushing those things towards a player so that it makes it even harder. Um, and I think, you know, that can be applied to things like virtual reality, which, you know, by design is, is more immersive than simply sitting on a couch and playing with your controller. So I think games have, have advanced quite a lot already over the last several, you know, years and, and even decades. And they're, they're only going to get more uh, advanced. So I think now is the time to, to really look at, at what can be done to make sure that, um, you know, we're not, we're not leaving kids on their own to, to fight these addictions. Is there any government or any kind of regulation, Luke, that you've seen or heard of that works here? Yeah, I think there are some, some governments around the world that are doing relatively simple and sensible things. Um, the UK has used some public funding to, to form gaming addiction clinics, um, which I think can be helpful. Um, in South Korea, where there's a, a, a quite a massive culture of gaming, um, they have uh, rules that allow parents to sort of dictate uh, what hours their kids can play video games. And then there are a number of countries around the world that have specifically targeted um, things within video games that are called loot boxes, which are sort of like you can pay $5 of real-world money and get some in-game bonuses or unlockables and uh, they, they work in a sort of slot machine fashion where you don't know what you're going to get. And so um, a lot of countries have approached that as, as you know, gambling available to, to children. And so they've cracked down on that and said either these are banned or we need to put some regulations on them. Um, and so other countries have been doing things, but Canada not so much. Hmm. Well, thanks for the chat this morning.
My pleasure. That is Luke Rinaldi, a national award-winning journalist who has been writing about video games, uh, the the challenge for parents, anybody who's ever tried to control the amount of time uh, they spend on a video game, and they're just becoming more and more addictive. Now, I would love to hear from parents out there if this has been a challenge for you and how you have tackled it. Uh, it's about it's about limits, right? But for a lot of parents, that can be so challenging to do that. 